Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Very important announcement! We have an upcoming live stream. Join us on Saturday, April 1st for a virtual slumber party with your gals. Uh, Presented by Moment House. And no, this is not an April Fool's show. This is real. This is real, people. We are going live at 7 p.m. Central from literally my couch in our jammies. With all of our Squishmallows, all of the snacks. Yes. I ordered special jammies. They may you or may did. not have feathers. Oh. <laughs> and this is not going to be your average live stream, people. We have lots of surprises in store for you. From games to sheet masks. You know mm. we love some skincare. To yep. our hot, hot, hot takes on a recent true crime case that you have all been clamoring for. You are not going to want to miss this. Absolutely not. Purchase of a ticket also gives you access to a replay of the stream so you can still join in on the fun, even if you, for some reason, have plans that night. Or if you want to watch it again, because it's going to be a freaking blast. It's going to be that good. It's going to be that good. So head to wineandcrimepodcast.com for more information and to snag your tickets. And we will see you on Saturday, April 1st for our slumber party with the wine coven. Come on, get cozy with us. You are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and 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 unleash (laughs) their worst Minnesotan accents. (laughs) And Kenyon's going to quit. Kenyon is Kevin Malone right now when they have to park in the satellite parking lot and he has to walk (laughs) and he's on the side of the road just going, God is my witness. I will quit. And he's just sweating. That's Kenyon right now. Yeah, in the much. midst of all of this Vanderpump rules. Yep, I'm nonsense. comforting myself with sweet, sweet yogurt. I love yogurt. I eat yogurt every day for breakfast. So I'm afraid I'm gonna gag on it. It clogs mm. my throat. Mm. Okay. I don't like. I don't like frosting either. For the same. I could see that. There's definitely a clog. There's always like a split second of panic when I'm swallowing. Okay. Maybe you just don't like Greek yogurt. Maybe you need like a watery or like a Yoplait situation. Well, I like those little wee ones that come in the little glass. Mm. Wee. O-U-I, wee. Wee as in wee. 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 Not those wee, wee as in small. <laughs> those wee ones. I like the wee ones. I like those wee ones. the wee ones. Every, the, no, we have zero subscribers now. Like we yeah. have, yeah. we're down to zero. Okay. This is well, a I'm yogurt to eat my podcast. string cheese. This is a yogurt and Bravo podcast now, so. We're just discussing our dairy. Mm-hmm. Yep. But actually, I'm excited for this topic, so. I'm very excited for this episode. <laughs> I have probably worked harder on these notes than I've ever worked in my life. Um, what? Yeah, I saw who you picked in the main talk, and I was like, that is an oh. undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. But first, yeah. uh, we have a very special gals pick Mm-hmm. This week brought to you by fucking us. Yeah. And the topic is cross country criminals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just, mm-hmm. you know, jet setters, folks mm-hmm. who like to just get on the road. Get on travel. the road and fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So let's get right to our wine crime pairing. Amanda, what have we got for cross-country criminals? I have a fabulous pairing today that, full disclosure, I'm not drinking because as we are recording this, we have a marathon day. We're recording two episodes today. It's uh, like barely noon. So while <laughs> I did indulge in a little wake and bake moment today as I was finishing my notes for the second episode that we're recording today, I am personally not drinking any wine right now, but I wanted to find a great wine to pair this with that if y'all can find it out there in the wild, please get one. So I am pairing the 2019 Traveler Syrah. Nice. Mm. This is a 100% Syrah, which I fucking love. She's fruit forward. She's full bodied. She's got a little bit of that peppery spice. She's herbaceous. She has firm tannins and a long finish. So this is like a wine for robust foods, like like steaks and meats. Yeah, biscuit and like gravy and all you know the supper delicious club shit. Yeah, yeah, supper club shit, mm-hmm. Wisconsin supper club shit oh, with yeah. like a really good wine. Yeah, if you're mm. sick of the old fashions, move Correct. on to the Syrah. Ooh. Yep, when you need to dial it back. Mm-hmm. This is a very classic Syrah from the Côte du Roussillon region of the south of France. It's aged in stainless steel tanks, so there's no barrel aging here to conflict with the natural flavor of the wine. It's like, if you love Syrah, you want to look for one that's aged in stainless steel so you don't get it at all muddied by the flavors of a barrel. This is an ideal wine to decant and like set it aside a little bit for later, those kind of like bigger fuller bodied wines they like to open up with some oxygen a little they're bit they're extroverts they're extroverts you know they they have to come out they got to they got to they got to do their thing so that really like brings out all of the subtle flavors if you drink it when it's a little bit too tight it's still going to be delicious but you're going to miss out on some of the range of the flavor profile um this is also a young wine it's a 2019 so it has it's according to their website it has great aging potential but it's also great right now. Like you could totally open it now and it would still be delicious, especially if you give it a minute to breathe. Talking about those supper club pairings, things like roast lamb, duck breast, Ugh. a grilled tenderloin, Ugh. all three, a a, a a lamb duck loin. A turducken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as we mentioned, it's best served decanted before enjoying the intoxicating aromas of this elegant red, and it will continue to improve and evolve for years to come. So you could age this. They say the ideal drinking window is after five to eight years. So this could be a really cool wine to get someone for like, I don't know, their upcoming wedding to open on their five-year wedding anniversary. Your oh. wedding gift came in the mail today. <gasps> My cooler? I'll bring it up in April for our lives for our oh, stream. Thank God. <laughs> I'm definitely just gonna get you something off your registry. Yeah, that's Do great. I have to get you something like thoughtful that I like come up Fuck with? Fuck no. Okay. Fuck no. And the only reason Lucy got me that is because I tried to add it to my registry and Zola was like, This is trash. We are not allowing this. And she goes, I'll just buy it for you. Don't worry about adding it to your registry. Period. Full stop. Yeah. She has an ABV of 14.5% and she is a popper. So you're going to want to grab either your nice pop wine key or your XOXO, the wine and crime gals wine key to open that bad boy up. Nice. Well, cheers. A chill. Cheers. I will have some red wine later, but like mm-hmm. Amanda said, it's a little bit early. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing espresso and yogurt and water, not Probably ice our- together. 
And you're going to shit through a screen door by my segment. <laughs> God bless you. When ya. don't I? <laughs> I'm drinking Accurate. my ice water, but again, for that second episode, might tune it up a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With my ass. Mm. All right. <laughs> well, Lucy, let's uh, let's hear the background and psych for cross-country criminals. So- the reason I'm very excited about this is because I'm covering, I don't know if I'd call it a case. It's not a specific case, but it's a specific thing. So it's not like mm. my general fun fact bullshit. I did, when I was pasting my notes into the doc, get like one s- snippet of one word in your case. And I was like, oh God, what the fuck is she going to talk about? <laughs> what was the word? It was like cannonball. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Let's dive right in. I'm put, oh, no. I'm putting my pumps in. Yeah, Continue. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna leak for sure during this. Oh ish. It's exciting. Okay. The human body is foul. <laughs> foul. <laughs> foul. <laughs> I also love how we tried that transcription services and Kenyon <laughs> saying vowel. Vowel. Or translated to ball. <laughs> I can extend I, we, my balls. We can't we do any tried. kind of automated transcription. It we does tried. not understand it's us. It's too fucked up. It's it, like an AI writing our show. Yeah. It's completely it absurd. does not work. We've really, really tried. Fall balls. Ball. So mm. a cannonball run <laughs> is an unsanctioned speed record for driving across the United States, typically accepted to run from New York City's Red Ball Garage to the Portofino Hotel in Redondo Beach near Los Angeles, covering a distance of 2,906 miles, which for everyone else in the world is 4,677 clicks. So this is like oh. a lot of like peeing in bottles and just oh, only yeah. stopping for gas and Do they call going. them tr- trucker bombs where you pee in a bottle oh. and then they just throw it on the oh. side of the road? It's, oh. It wasn't it? It's like a trucker Molotov cocktail or something. Something like that. Yeah. Tr- grenade? Oh, yeah, maybe that's the... Yeah, I know what you're saying. Anyway, if you see a a bottle with, you know, yellow Gatorade in it on the side of the road. I was just going to say, it's not Gatorade. (laughs) It's not Gatorade. No, I've been drinking those for years. (laughs) (laughs) So contemporary record-setting runs are typically driven by a team of drivers and co-pilots in a high-performance but inconspicuous car. Yeah, you don't want to get pulled over in, like, some red hat rat. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, orange, red, yellow, out of the question. Electric, blue. Mm, yeah, no. Sure. You want to go with the grays, the blacks, things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. The drivers themselves are allowed to choose their own route, so it doesn't have to be from garage to garage, but that is the most easily verifiable route to go, and it's uh, presumed to be the fat, the fastest. Mm-hmm. As of October 2021, the overall record is 25 hours and 39 minutes from Dang. New York to L.A. That's really fast. It's really fucking fast. And that was driven by Arnie Tolman, Doug Tabot, and Dunadel Dariush. What Lana is, Del Rey. What is the, uh, somebody who can math, what is the, like the average mile per hour speed yeah. or whatever? Well, yeah. I'm about to tell you. Oh, great. So the record, this record was set in 2020, which we'll get back to because that's an important factor, in a silver 2016 Audi S6 that was disguised to look like a Ford Taurus unmarked police cruiser. Brilliant. So the the body of the car. Oh, you smell like poop. Get away from me. (laughs) Ray. Ray. For a second, I didn't. Jesus Christ. Get out. 
Okay, so the <laughs> the body of those cars look very similar. It's just like the front bumper that's different. So they just replaced the bumper. But the performance of the car is that of an Audi S6. Uh-huh. So an Audi S6 looks like a Ford Taurus? The body of it does. Gross. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, Ew, look at it. So the average speed, the average speed. You smell like poop. Get away from me. He does smell like poop. I'm I'm stiff arming him off camera. Okay. (laughs) Her husband. Her husband. She has not not yet verbally confirmed who she's stiff arming. And I won't. You might think it's Ray. It's Corey. knocking over my crystals. Corey, you smell like poop. Get away from me. Go to work. Get a job. Okay. Average speed of 110 miles an hour, which again is 180 kilometers per hour, and a maximum speed of 175 miles an hour. This sounds like me driving to Iowa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of does. And Mm -hmm. during that whole time, their total stopping time was 31 minutes. Wow. So that was just to like fuel up, which I think they only had to do like three times. When do you sleep? Oh, and did they switch they off? They switch off. It's only 25 okay. hours only, but you know. Yeah. You can be jazzed up enough to just stay awake for that. The I adrenaline. Mean, I mean, I would sleep like a Amanda fucking baby that I night. Had, literally, my mania has this. I could have driven to LA in a day with <laughs> with this mania that I'm riding. Yeah. Just to get to Sir. You're riding just some. Get, just to get to Sir. You're riding some lightning this week. I really fucking am. So as I mentioned, this race is unsanctioned and deaf unlegal. Unlegal. So there is no official organization that runs it. According to Wikipedia, Wikipedia, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. According to we, <laughs> Cannonball. Peanut farmer. Peanut. Peanut. Cannonball Run started in the 1970s, but according to hotcars.com, it started in 1933. But according to an infographic from Reddit, <laughs> It started closer to 1915, at which time the record was close to 280 hours. Yeah, because cars <laughs> maxed out at like 31 miles an hour. Also, there was no highway system. It was like yeah. gravel fucking roads the whole way. I could take my scooter cross country in about 280 hours, I bet. There is a specific run for scooters. Oh, I'm sure. It actually like on Google Maps, if, if there are any other scooters out there, you can... Map your route, but toggle avoid highways, and then it gives me a route anywhere I need to go that's scooter friendly. I need to tell it's my great. mom about that. Yeah, it's really nice. She might know, but she might not. She doesn't have an Uber. Phone. If it's not on MapQuest, she probably doesn't know. She does that's not true. follow directions. Actually, now that I think about this, like <laughs> the amount of times that we have been late to something. And i she knows a way she knows a way. And then I'm like, and then she's like, oh, there's construction. Oh, I don't know if. And I'm like, should I do you want me to plug it in? To be, and she's like, yeah, plug and it in. And then I'll tell you it what in, to avoid. And then she doesn't follow it. Got I it. feel I seem to remember a time it took you guys like 15 hours to get to Chicago. Yep. Uh, uh, yep. 15. It was a it was it 12. Was a, it was a big it was a thing. That 12 feels a lot like 15, though, in yeah. a minivan with Momar, I'm yep. sure. It was 12 yeah. hours. And it was like an in and out because it was a passport thing. Yep. You weren't even staying there. Get a visa. Yep. That's right. This is before <laughs> yeah. you went to South Africa. India. <gasps> oh, OK. Mm-hmm. Different time. I was I was still like a child, essentially, which oh. is why I was under her 
reign jurisdiction <laughs> reign of terror her fascist rule <laughs> yeah her regime mm-hmm. yeah i was 18 no 21 oh. whatever a child oh my god wow <laughs> well you didn't have a driver's license which is why you couldn't drive your damn self that'll do it <laughs> Probably. that'll do it okay so given the history of the race i'm going to say it started in 1914 and here is the history of the race it was started by Erwin George Baker, a.k.a. Cannonball Baker. Oh. So this is from Atlas Obscura. In 1914, the factory worker turned vaudevillian turned racer. So he's just a fucking character. There are photos of him, which will be on the blog. Yes. The factory worker turned vaudevillian turned racer crossed the country in, ele- in 11 and a half days on what was believed to be the very first transcontinental trip on a motorcycle. Wow. Damn. So that in itself was really, really fast. So on a motorcycle, it took him 11 and a half days. Five years later, the U.S. military convoy, a U.S. military convoy, crossed the country on the brand new Lincoln Highway, and that took them 58 days. So he crushed them. He cruised. Yeah. And wow. apparently all he had was like a canteen for water and like wow. some cash. And oh. And then he just relied on people he met on the road to like give him a place to sleep and give him some fucking food. Mm-hmm. He had nothing. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. Wow. No thanks. Yeah. I'm not knocking on strangers' doors and like making a friend so I have somewhere to sleep. Ick. <laughs> Well, like at a Absolutely gas station not. and stuff. That's what Tinder's for. It, yeah. it was 1914. So I think <laughs> that shit happened Tinder. a lot more often. Than... I'm sure, but it's not for me. <laughs> no. Baker ended up making 143 coast-to-coast trips by motorcycle over the nation's largely unpaved roads Dang. through his career. By 1933, thanks to advances in roads and automotive technology, Baker was able to cross the country by car in a supercharged Graham Page blue streak in a little in a little more than two days. Mm. So he did that one in 53 hours and five minutes. Wow. Baker, Baker remained an influential figure in the racing world for decades. One of his last roles was that was as commissioner of a brand new stock car racing circuit called NASCAR. Mm. Oh, NASCAR. NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> He died in 1960, but he, like, in terms of, like, American racing, he was, like, the pioneer. Mm. Not that I personally care, but for this, for these purposes, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So enter Brock Yates, a writer and a writer and editor of Car and Driver magazine. Yates was an advocate for graduated driver's license, which would grant different privileges for different skill sets. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Take Licenses away from the elderly. Mm-hmm. And Amanda. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm good. I'm just fast. I'm good. I'm just dangerous. I'm just fast. <laughs> I got places to be. So he believed that one size did not fit all and more intensive training would allow the United States to create high speed roads like Germany's Audubon. Mm-hmm. His son, Brock Jr., later said, quote, This was when people took driving seriously. Good drivers could traverse long distances at high speeds safely. I mean, yes and no. Like, my grandfather never took a driver's test because, like, when he got got his driver's license, there was no test. He just showed up. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Because how much pra- how much access to practice did people really have back then? Right. But yeah, well, that's that was the case back then. So Yates wanted to prove that good drivers should be allowed to to drive faster. And so on May 1st, 1971, he set out along with his driving partner, Steve Smith, and his 14-year-old son, Brock Jr., in a Dodge van that they named Moon Trash 2. <laughs> I like Love that, that name. They Love. I know. It's like just a, va- a van. Mm-hmm. It's like a creeper van. Moon Trash. Moon Trash 2. Does two. Bill's van have a name? No. Moon Trash Moon one. Trash 3. Oh. <laughs> Done. They left from Redwall Garage, chosen really only because it was open 24 hours. And mm. then they made it to the Portofino after 40 hours and 51 minutes. Wow. Moon Trash 2 was one of eight entrants six months later in the Cannon Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash, which was set up by Yates. Little wordy. Yep. Little wordy. Yep. Could have cut that one down. Cannonball but. Baker C2 Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash or CBBSTSSMTD. Why is this the Michael Scott fun run <laughs> yeah. for awareness Dunder, for Dunder rabies Midland research? Paper Company rabies fun run <laughs> for the cure. <laughs> <laughs> to raise awareness for rabies research <laughs> for the cure. <laughs> It's absolutely the fun run. Oh, my God. Name. I love it. <laughs> um, so it was as much an endurance test as it was a speed test. Yates and Dan Gurney won. So this is the six months later race. They won in a Ferrari, shaving the record down to 35 hours and 54 minutes. Other races were held in 1972, 75 and 79. The last two in protest of the new national speed limit on interstate highways which at the time they set it at 55 miles an hour on the interstate. Come on. That's really slow. That's really slow. So they were protesting this. That's they were making like, like the hair on the back But also like all cars were like manual back then. Right. And they didn't right. get, you know, like it's not like 55 today, but it's still pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like people weren't. Well, I mean, it was the 70s. But maybe I'd people weren't commute, making long commutes as speed limit everywhere. I would be so fine with that. It basically is to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fine. You have to be going really slow on a highway to be going too slow to be pulled over. I mean, so, uh, it depends. Some highways have a posted minimum speed. Like Highway 62, at least toward the city, has a minimum speed of 40 miles an hour or 35W. Right. But that's so, still like 20 miles an hour less than the is. limit is the what limit I'm saying. Is 60, the, yeah. window the limit is, does not exist. The window is pretty wide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My grandma got pulled over for going too slowly one time because we were driving through Amish country and we were gawking at the buggies and yeah. she got pulled over because we were going mm. too slow. Oh, how slow are the buggies going? What if well, they have yeah, they're on the side. Different oh, rules. Side. Different rules. <laughs> it's a graduated <laughs> system. <laughs> So after that, Yates stopped holding races, fearing that it had grown too big to fly under the radar to be com- or to be completed safely. So the 14-year-old son at the time recalls that his dad said, no, this is getting stupid. People should not be going that fast on a public highway. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like 
People who think of themselves as good drivers. You're only as good as the one bad driver you encounter. Exactly. It's like you're not in control of all of the the factors. If you were, fine, sure, go as fast as you fucking want. But like, there are a million fucking ways that shit can go wrong that you can't foresee just because Mm -hmm. you happen to be a good driver. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the last official Cannonball race in 1979, Yates partnered with stuntman-turned-director Hal Needham, driving another Dodge van. This one made to look like an ambulance. <laughs> this That's got to be that's super badass. illegal. All oh, of this right. is very illegal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of it is. I'm like, that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> the story of the race fascinated Needham, who'd already directed Smokey and the Bandit, and he and Yates developed a script, which turned into the movie Cannonball Run. And I have a picture uh, of the movie poster also on the blog. That's why I okay. think I've heard of this before. Yep, definitely. It had like, that's why. I think it had like Farrah Fawcett in it. It's just like a star-studded mm-hmm. cast. Yeah, okay. I totally recognize this poster. Not mm-hmm. that I've ever seen it, but wow. Yeah. Look at the tits on Tits McGee Farrah there. Fawcett. Look at the tits on Tits McGee. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what? Is that what I'm saying? He must work out. <laughs> also, Burt Reynolds kind of oh, looks like Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Totally. Oh, 100%. Wow. Thousand percent. I could see it. Wow, Tits McGee. Jesus. Tits McGee. Also, there seems to be like a There's very racist. racially charged yeah, I just saw imagery that. on this. Yep. Yeah. Moving on. 80s, Yikes. man. Ugh. I can't control what was published in the 80s. So this movie was originally intended as a vehicle for Steve McQueen, but he passed away in 1980. So it instead became a box office smash, if not a critical hit for Burt Reynolds (laughs) and the all-star cast. The 1981 movie then became a staple on weekend afternoon television. So like every one of this generation has seen this movie. Got it. And among its viewers was (laughs) the next next generation of renegade cross-country racers. So if you could not tell... This is definitely a rich white boy sport. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was referred to as a fraternity of lunatics. Mm -hmm. Ah. When you don't face any actual hardships, you got to create your own. Exactly. Or consequences. Like it's not a threat to your life if you get pulled over for this shit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And there were very few consequences. We'll get to it. Mm -hmm. Through the late 80s and 90s, the record was more and more difficult to break as there were more cars on the roads and more cops on the roads. So the nerdy set took this as a challenge to develop technologies and countermeasures to evade police, such as extra fuel tanks to cut down on their stops. So they'd have like extra cells in the trunk of their car. They also had brake light kill switches. So if you are being chased and you need to pull off the road and like hide you don't have to turn off your car for your lights to go off. Oh, my That's God. terrifying. That won't give you away. Wow. They also had radar detectors, laser diffusers, so you can, like, stun the, the speed oh. things into malfunctioning. I need that. Wow. They also had that. CB radios because they could, then they could hear tr- truckers and other mm-hmm. people using CB radios. And they would give a heads up like, oh, yeah. we've got a speed trap on, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Something ways. blocking the road. Early fud- bu- yeah, early ways, early fuzzbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fu- yeah, fuzzbuster. I- My uncle had one of those. Mm-hmm. I made out a couple times with a guy who had one of those. It was very out of character for me. Uh, was he yeah. the one that crashed his car because he couldn't see through his tears when he Knew broke it. up with him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
knew and it. And I didn't even break up with him. I just didn't want to be his girlfriend. He wanted me to Is be his the girlfriend. One that- and I said, um, I like the status quo. And then I don't think he knew what the words status quo meant. I don't meant. think he did either. Didn't you, when you were watching the Netflix Murdoch murder thing, you texted us being like, this reminds me, this is giving a lot of yep. bleep bleep vibes. And we were like, holy percent. shit. Even kind of looks like yep. one of them. Like a thumb with red hair. Rich yep. and like bad Really rich filler. redheads. Yeah. yeah. Rich, irresponsible, not redheads. terribly bright, <laughs> privileged redheads. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just want to get railed by a dumbass. Yeah. I didn't get railed. We made out well, a right. couple times. One time to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, and he did smell hot. <laughs> you are making out during Schindler's List? No. <laughs> Remember our happy hour? Yes. <laughs> Someone confessed to making out during the boy in the striped pajamas, and we were to the boy in the striped pajamas. We were mortified. (laughs) Oh no, it's it's not. It's bad. Holy shit! (laughs) Also, that book and movie are very problematic. Also, but they are. They are. (laughs) Okay, Okay, moving on. (laughs) <laughs> so CB wow. radios, they also had roof-mounted thermal cameras, so you can, they can see th- I thermal am technology. My Subaru Crosstrek, my 2016 Camp, Subaru, Subaru. Crosstrek, to some sort of clandestine car repair shop <laughs> yeah. to have all Portofino of these Garage done. in Redondo Beach done. Done. Where's exhibit? They also had extra powerful lights. That enabled you like to headlights? S- headlights that enabled you to see over thirty five hundred feet down the road ahead of I you. I need that. I'd love that. Yep, yep. Uh, headlights uh, 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 when you're driving at night and you're like Why in places that do not technology, have technology. Windshield technology where you can have every other car can have their brights on. But right. your windshield cuts it down so it doesn't blind oncoming traffic. Like, why don't we have that yet? There are long stretches of, like, pretty major highway that do not fucking have streetlights. Yes. It's really fucking dark. <laughs> and, like, your headlights, even with your brights on, I feel like give you six feet. Yeah. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's raining oh. or anything. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. sometimes your brights make it worse. If you, you have know? astigmatism, yeah. Oh, or absolutely. if it's like snowing. Foggy, yeah. snowing. You're not supposed to use your brights because it reflects off of what's in Everything, the atmosphere yep. and blinds you. Yeah. <gasps> okay. So I thought this was interesting. Because the race is unsanctioned, it is deemed illegal and involved parties are well aware of the ramifications that come with participating. And because of this, the winner of the race is not announced immediately. It might take up to a year before the results are announced because the statute of limitations on anything illegal pertaining to the race expires after a year. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? That's That's cool. cool. Uh Mm -hmm. There are no official limits imposed on cars, routes, technologies, or strategies used in record runs. Record-setting runs are typically self-verified through records or by record setters through uh, witnesses, toll receipts, a continuous mm-hmm. video of the run, and GPS tracking of the car. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And so you can't fake it, y'all. Can't you fake can't it. claim you won. Mm-hmm. So then March of 2020 happened. Everything shut down, leaving the highways empty, mostly empty, of both commuters and law enforcement. 
Mm. So the official record was broken 12 times during the early months of the pandemic due to the, quote, unimaginable set of circumstances. Wow. That's... People were bored out of their gourd. Well, they could. Well, it was went the for best it. time to it do it. Best right. Because they're not going to get caught and they have they might all never from home. get those conditions ever again. They probably right. won't. People aren't expecting you at the office. Like, just opened up a- everything. fucking can of worms, cannonball can. Mm-hmm. There is a documentary that I watched called Apex, and it was filmed in uh, 2019. So it was before all that. But, like, they ran into, like, crazy road construction, just traffic jams because of accidents, mm-hmm. like all sorts of shit. Mm-hmm. But it's they also... Uh, they've got like helicopter spotters. So like helicopters are, they have a helicopter partner, a lot of them Mm, who can spot mm -hmm. cops and other blockages up ahead and be like, okay, take this side road. You can go around all this shit or whatever. I need a friend who can be my helicopter spotter. So listeners, my DMs are open. (laughs) So the standing record I mentioned of the 25 hours and 39 minutes was set in April, 2020 in that Audi disguised to look like a Ford Taurus. The mm-hmm. team had a small army of spotters and scouts helping them break the record, many of whom didn't even recognize the car as it sped past, thinking that it was, in fact, an unmarked police cruiser. Wow. Sure. That's how inconspicuous the car was. Wow. Also, police cruisers are so fucking stupid looking. Like, they're yeah. so like, oh, a video game bro mm-hmm. dumbass. Grand I hate Theft it. Auto. So yeah. much. Like, we should be giving police... The derpiest looking cars. Clown oh, do you mean cars. we should defund the police? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't care if like they need to go fast or whatever, but they shouldn't look fun. Yeah. You know, no. they shouldn't look like you're in a cool. video game. Yeah. Yeah. It should just, it should yeah. be a very derpy service vehicle. Mm-hmm. They should be pink. They should be pink. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So cannonballer Ed Bullion thinks that the pandemic allowed for the maximum possible records to be made, and he doesn't think that those records will ever be broken. Wow. He says, quote, I don't think it'll get any faster because I don't think the world will turn off the highways ever again. At least I hope not. Mm-hmm. So all of this to say, because I didn't have any like real psych behind it, but Sure. Let's take a look at this event from a bit of an academic point of view. And I have a good friend who shall remain unnamed who helped me find this event in the first place. And actually, I was supposed to cover it in our Fast and Furious episode, and I forgot Uh, about it. Oops. We were busy. We were busy. So this friend is kind of obsessed with this race because that person also wrote their college thesis on, quote, the rise of car culture and the rejection of post-war American homogeny. (laughs) Wow. Because this Show unnamed your friend is your Vanderpump a huge dork. <laughs> so this race, according to friend, was a direct result of post-war factory production of vehicles, the rise of this new middle class, which did not exist pre-wars, and the mm-hmm. uniform suburban landscape. It's a 20th century manifest, uh, manifest destiny speeding west with minimal creature comfort. So again, like the guy with just the canteen and a couple bucks. Mm-hmm. And it's always east to west, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go west, young man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like middle finger to the law. Fuck you. This race focused on independence and self-reliance, which is while a rejection of American culture is, in fact, the most American thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's as far as we got in terms of like academic 
sort of mm-hmm. heady cool. stuff about it, it but makes sense. it does make sense. And I, I mean, as dangerous as this is, there haven't, condone. there haven't been, as far as I could find, any serious crashes resulting in major injuries or deaths or. I mean, they're prob- more than Tesla can say. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As we mm-hmm. record this, they just got in trouble for their steering wheels falling off. Yeah, what the fuck is going on, Tesla? It's falling apart. What? I. Oh, yeah, can't. those cars. Mm-mm. No. Scary stuff. Uh, no thing. Well, yeah, don't do a Tesla. But also, they have a, they have a different cannonball run for electric cars. Hmm. That's Which cool. Are not That's as fast cool. as the gas powered. No, it's true. That. Yeah. Well, this is awesome. Really interesting. I think the tidbit about the statute of limitations that they don't announce the winner until mm-hmm. there's jack shit the law can do about it is kind of badass. It's clever. It's clever. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that is my well, segment. well done. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we hear a quick word from our sponsors and then get into one of the most sweeping? And fascinating and terrifying cases of all time. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Y'all know that I have done literally everything to get silky, strong, and healthy hair. When I say everything, I mean I buy it and install it onto my head. (laughs) Okay, people, I have gone to great lengths, but I also have to, like, nourish and protect my hair that's under my extensions. And my hair has gotten so long. It is so silky. It is so luxurious. I am obsessed. So if you're super tired of ineffective hair treatments and, like, influencers telling you to put man on your head. No, don't, don't do, it. do that. Mm-mm. And you're ready to try something that actually works. Give Vegamore a try, like I did. Yeah, Vegamore has transformed all of our hair, mm-hmm. and their clean and vegan approach to hair health uses smart botanicals that promote visibly thicker, fuller, longer-looking hair. With help from Vegamore, you can get healthy, beautiful-looking hair without the use of harmful chemicals. All their products are cruelty-free and never contain potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones, which is so important, especially if you have, like, sensitive skin. Because, like, your scalp is skin, people. Yeah, and, like, all those nasties strip all the natural oils out of your hair that, like, protect your scalp and everything. Yeah. Don't use that stuff. Mm Mm-mm. And Vegamore has something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. The Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit works together to create visibly thicker hair and improve hair from the roots. Just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds and then follow up with conditioner on lengths and ends. It's as simple as that. Having Vegamore as my go-to shampoo and conditioner has been an absolute game changer for my overall hair health, especially while I'm dealing with some postpartum hormonal changes. Yeah, yeah. your hair's been so shiny. <gasps> Thank you. Obsessed. That was one of my hair goals. Yeah, honey. You have some nice shine. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks, Vegamore. And God bless. with Vegamore, there is no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. But with 91% of customers saying they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months, you won't want to run out. Mm-mm. So give your hair exactly what it's been craving with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com slash gals and use code gals to save 20% on your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash gals. Code gals to save 20% at vegamore.com slash gals and treat your hair. Treat it. 
You know what's a bummer about having boobs? Mm. That most bras on the market suck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're uncomfortable. They don't provide the right amount of support. They don't breathe like the boob sweat. Mm. I can't. I can't deal with it. And then society wants to tell you that it's like, it's your boobs. Your boobs are weird. No, it's not you. Your it's boobs your are perfect. Your boobs are perfect. And third love knows that your boobs are perfect. And they want to provide you with a bra that makes your boobs look great and feel amazing and comfortable all day long. Mm-hmm. Tell us more, Kenyon. I went from very rarely wearing a bra to now having to wear a bra pretty much 24-7 because I am breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. But you know what has made that experience so wonderful? Mm -hmm. Third Love. And Third Love also makes great everyday bras. Or if you want something with more coverage or maybe an unlined style or maybe a little extra lift or maybe all of the above, maybe a little bit of lace. Whatever you're looking for, Third Love has got it. Their best-selling bras are designed to fit and support your body. They have a style for every solution and outfit. They will make you look and feel great in whatever you're wearing. And they are available in half cup sizes for your perfect fit. Mm -hmm. In fact, Third Love has a perfect fit promise. So never get stuck with a bad bra again. Returns and exchanges are free for 60 days. Find a bra that fits your perfect boobs. Uh, yeah. So ditch bad bras. Get a better one that makes you look and feel great. Upgrade your bra and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash gals. That's 20% off your first order today at thirdlove.com slash gals. And treat your bubbies. Treat them. I am going to perhaps foolishly attempt to cover one of the most confounding Possibly most prolific, but that's debated, serial killers in U.S. history, Israel fucking keys. I mm-hmm. cannot believe you're going to try to do this in your segment. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to speed through. Yep. Cannonball run <laughs> of this case. Max right. speed of 175. Yeah. I hope everyone enjoys this seven hour episode. No, I'm going to, I tried really hard. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. I couldn't resist, though, because, like, nobody embodies cross-country criminal more than this dude. So, Absolutely. Just to preface, Keyes has multiple known victims and dozens more likely suspected victims where there's, like, substantial evidence linking him, but it's not confirmed. Right. And then investigators and amateur sleuths have also tried linking him to practically every missing persons case in the U.S. between, like, 1996 and 2012. Right. Some for valid reasons, like those connections make a little bit of sense or there's some evidence mm. and then some are like way more tenuous and he probably Shot in the dark. had yeah, had nothing right. to do with it. But his MO is so weird and mm-hmm. expansive, it can be really hard to like know what to rule in and what to rule out and we will get mm-hmm. to it. So obviously it's not possible in our format to cover everything and you will be left wanting more information. So the best place for everything Israel Keys is the podcast True Crime Bullshit by yep. our very good friend Josh Hallmark. And I got a ton of my information from Josh's podcast and website. I'm a huge, huge fan. Mm-hmm. And he has put in so much work. Years. Unbelievable years, amount. Literal years. And, and like helped solve actual. Actual missing person missing cases. Person he's cases. like an. He's gone from podcaster to actual investigative journalist, I think. 
Yeah. Um, he travels and around incredible. the country He's doing this. He submitted mm-hmm. Freedom of Information Act requests and gotten documents that literally no one else has had access to. Like, he is incredible and he is actually mm-hmm. bringing closure to families and just highly fucking recommend. And also, mm-hmm. I apologize, Josh, if I fuck any of this information up. I really tried my best, but it's like a lot to keep track of. Okay. <laughs> Things start off pretty weird and bleak right from the start mm-hmm. with this man's story. So Israel Keys, no middle name, uh, was born into a Mormon family in Utah in 1978. He was the second of 10 children and the Ugh. oldest boy. And his older no. sister was named America Oh, okay. America's nation. America and Israel. What were the next names? I don't. I don't have all of the names. But Massachusetts. His, they're not all place <laughs> names. It's there's all. It's like all, like a white far right, mm-hmm. vaguely religious, re- extensively religious mm. tilt to things. So Israel was named Israel because of that religious mm-hmm. background. Element. Yeah, in America. Is obvious. America's nation. Um, Does anyone know the movie Flashbook Where the Heart Is, where she names her yeah. kid America? She has her baby at a Walmart, Walmart. And she oh, names her kid yeah. America's nation. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, you guys are not reacting to my joke well enough to th- make me believe you know the <laughs> reference. It's, so I had to I explain. I haven't seen it. the movie Ringing in a, a minute. Bell. Yeah, it's been a, been a minute. Natalie Portman has a baby in a yeah. Walmart. That's pretty Correct. much the extent. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, he and his siblings were homeschooled until 1983. Yikes. Yeah. But then his parents rather abruptly broke with their Mormon faith and uprooted the family, moving to a remote part of Washington state. They, they moved to a, an area called Colville, which is up by the Canadian border. Mm. And there they lived in a one-room cabin no. without electricity or running water. This is some Wooby Witch. This is Wooby Witch shit. Kids. I would launch myself into the sun. Yeah. There were Bye-bye. there were times where like a lot of the kids had to like sleep in tents on the property because there wasn't enough like actual floor space for people no. to sleep. I won't even share a bathroom with my future husband, let alone a one room cabin with my 12 family members. No. Yep. Yeah. Bye-bye. So the family was poor. I'm sure having 10 fucking kids didn't help. But also, like, it was a choice Uh, to live this way. Mm -hmm. And they did own property. Like, they owned land. So it wasn't like they were destitute. Mm -hmm. Um, But Israel's father would spend a lot of time, quote, praying in the woods rather than, like, working and, like, Providing for all these things. So he wanted to be in this cabin close to like his own personal cathedral, the woods, where he could devote a bunch of yeah, time to prayer. It's a religious, these are choices that they made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also encouraged the Keys children to hunt for their own food to eat. Mm. Okay. If you can't kill it, you can't eat. Mm-hmm. So Israel would become an avid hunter throughout his life in more ways than one. And um, he also loved to fish, although maybe he just liked having access to, like, remote bodies of water and, like, a good excuse to go missing for a few days at a time. Sean Fitzgerald. It's also less violent than hunting. Hunting. 
That's probably not, not his motivation. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be my motivation. I'd go straight pescatarian. Yeah, but you're not <gasps> the world's most <laughs> prolific serial yeah. killer. I don't think that don't is think what appealed to him about fish. <laughs> <laughs> that was... But sure. Oh, well, it's, it's gentle It's death. less work than hunting, too. I think he just he, knew that people would believe him if he was like, I'm going fishing, and he takes off into the woods for a few days, and then they don't ask where he's been. I'm just right. covering That's for why his, he, his real keys for a second, yeah, okay? <laughs> you don't know. You sweet, he's sweet. dead. You don't know his We motive. literally do we know. We do. We know. <laughs> and less violent was never one of his motives, but you sweet, sweet summer child. Okay. He's on his off days. No. Want to take it easy? Get out, go out on the boat. <laughs> he owned a boat. He liked to be missing for a few days, not reachable, and and dump people in lakes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So back to his childhood. <laughs> At this point, uh, so now they've they've moved and they're not Mormon anymore, and they're fundamentalist and they're living in the cabin and off the grid, basically. Yeah. They started attending a church called The Ark, which practiced a deeply racist, anti-Semitic, white supremacist, quote-unquote, Christian ideology. Mm-hmm. During their time at The Ark, the family befriended the family of Chivi Kehoe, and we don't have time to get into it, but these were like neo-Nazi terrorists mm-hmm. that they were like neighbors and buddies with at church. So you can kind Yikes. of guess what kind of church it was. Right. As a teen, Keyes also attended another white supremacist church in Colville called the Christian Israel Covenant Church. Mm-hmm. And so the Israel name thing back to this is like they part of their beliefs is that they are, which is anti-Semitic, that Jews are not the real descendants of the Hebrews in the Bible and that mm-hmm. they're. Like, white people are the real descendants of Hebrews in the Bible, which is funny because, like, there are also black groups that think this that are anti-Semitic. But we'll get to this actually in later, the episode later today. <laughs> oh, mm. yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. And this, yes, we will. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Moving on. Too much to cover. So given what we already know about his upbringing, it's probably not surprising that Keyes ticked all of the early signs of a future serial killer, including mm. starting fires. Love Breaking, of fishing. Love of <laughs> fishing, because it's less violent. Alone time. <laughs> Just because you might like the sound of fishing. Does not mean that motivated is real keys. I don't know. <laughs> uh, breaking into neighbors' houses from like the age of 14 on, and this was partially just for like the thrill of it. And partially to steal guns and stuff like that. Mm. And then he would then resell these stolen guns. Sure. At 14. He's funding and like stocking up for his endeavors, basically. And practicing. Yeah. And getting a little thrill. Being a little Dickens. (laughs) Firing BB guns at people and trigger warning, especially for Lucy, killing killing the family cat. And like other, like torturing other animals. Right. In fact, once he skinned a deer alive in front of the other kids at church. And then they like avoid, like the other kids then avoided him at church. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. A lot. I learned a lot about him that I did not know previously in doing these notes. Mm -hmm. So 
for whatever reason, there's no way to know, Israel didn't really fit in in his church community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in his later teen years, he actually officially rejected the Christian, quote unquote, ideology that his parents espoused. And then they they basically kicked him out of the house because at first he was like, I'm an atheist. Hey, I hate you, mom and dad, whatever. And they were like, get out of this fucking cramped, crazy cabin. Not in my house. In yeah. this house. Not in this cabin. In this room. <laughs> we believe. <laughs> that Jesus is Lord. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he wasn't like a chill atheist, obviously. Um, you don't say. <laughs> He wasn't like a chill atheist. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, he swung to another dark extreme and began showing an interest in Satanism, which is different from the Satanic Temple, which are more just kind of like feel-good trolls, I feel Mm. like. These are like, Satanism is more like actual harm. Right. Rituals. and Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had plans to commit a, quote, ritualistic murder although none of his crimes really seemed to be all that ritualistic in the end Mm -hmm. which is interesting i'm not sure he had these fantasies let's say but he didn't actually act out this part okay like it wasn't that ritualistic because it was like disorganized and he it's not like he with the exception of one case that we know of for sure he didn't really like pose victims or you know, um, like, you know, he's not like, we will get to it. Okay. But it's just yeah. not what you would think of. It, you don't stumble upon an Israel Keys crime scene and go, oh, Satan, Satanistic ritual. Right. Yeah. yeah. There aren't like candles involved right. and whatever. Maybe more like his own personal jollies and not like something out of a textbook of ritualistic murders. Yeah. Also, back to like the whole cabins thing, I read at at some point that he built his own log cabin at 16, but I'm not really sure if this was before or after he got kicked out. And Mm -hmm. the family also moved around a bit and they were in Oregon for a while and Maine for a while. So there's just a lot of cabins to keep track of. That's Mm -hmm. too much. Okay. So the Satanism, I feel like, is an aspect of Israel Keys that often gets forgotten or overlooked because you almost don't need it. Like, he is so creepy and terrifying just in and of himself. Mm-hmm. You don't need any of the extra frosting. Ugh. Is the proof that he was a Satanist really just that he told his parents he was a Satanist that maybe could have just been like a way to say fuck you to your parents and not actually be a Satanist? There's a little more proof than that, but it doesn't really come up until like the very, very end. Um, So we will get to it at the very, very end. But kind of in all in the middle, it doesn't seem to be a factor. Really be pertinent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In 1998, at the age of 20, Keyes enlisted in the Army. He mainly trained at Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington. And he spent a lot of time in this area of Washington. And during this time, he liked to spend his weekends drinking heavily, as a lot of young men do. Wild turkey was his favorite, so just there's another red flag for you. (laughs) (laughs) He also enjoyed listening to what kind of music do you think he liked? Uh, you know, U2. If he's he's anything like me, I'm going to say Patsy Cline, Neil Diamond. Mm. Yeah, close. Um, Insane Clown Posse. 
Ah, ICP. Wait, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, that another seems so modern. Another to be a, like oh. weirdo thing about wow. him. Wasn't this was I in just, like the nineties? What? Wasn't it? Late 90s. Yeah. yeah, I just can't imagine the Juggalos accepting someone like this, but. The Juggalos accept everyone. Mm-hmm. They're know, a very the accepting community. Surprising communities of progressive uh, politics. Mm-hmm. You'd be shocked. Yeah, well, they probably wouldn't accept him anymore. Probably not. But if it, as long as he's just a you guy know. who likes fishing. Yeah, just just likes to fish. And just his a ICP. Nice, gentle, nonviolent sport. And his grape fago. So Keyes spent, uh, he served three years in the military, during which time he was stationed in, again, Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington, Fort Hood in Texas, and he was deployed to the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt for a while. We don't know of any murders Keyes may have committed while he was in the army, but he would later admit to attempting multiple rapes during this period, including once of a sex worker while he was stationed in Egypt, like he and some army buddies had, you know, invited sex workers to a hotel. And then after about 30 minutes alone in the room with her, she like fought him off and ran screaming out of the hotel room. And then he wouldn't tell any of his buddies what had happened. Yeah. And then again, he talked to investigators about a rape of a college student he met while traveling in nearby Israel because the Sinai Peninsula borders Israel. Mm-hmm. He had to go to Israel. Had to go to Israel. His name said. Had to. These are by no means the only rapes or attempted rapes that we know he committed. He was a serial rapist as well as murderer. Mm-hmm. He also told investigators that either in the summer of 1997 or 1998, he sexually assaulted an unknown teenage girl who was somewhere between the ages of 14 and 18 who was tubing with her friends down the Deschutes River in Oregon. And he, like, somehow got her to, like, get away from her friends and assaulted her and then let her go. And um, he told police that he was originally planning to murder her as part of a, quote-unquote, satanic ritual, um, but ended up letting her go. You know, this is early on in his career as an evil piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Police have attempted to identify this victim, but it's likely that the sexual assault was never reported and she has not come forward to be identified, which is entirely her right. Absolutely. After being honorably discharged in 2001, he's moved back to what he considered his home state of Washington, even though he was born in Utah. He really mostly identifies with Washington state. At this point, Israel had been dating a woman named Tammy for about six months. Oh, no, Tammy, no. Tammy, no. He had, like, multiple, (sighs) like, serious relationships relationships where he, like, fully was, like, living with and... Listen, you never know who you're sleeping next to, let me tell you. You never know. The fact that he had a daughter is so grosses me out. Well, yeah, we're about to get to that. Yeah, he had the daughter with Tammy. Mm -hmm. So she lives in Nia Bay, Washington. Nia Bay is another remote community in Washington State. It's on the Canadian border, and it's located on, like, the far tip of the Olympic Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the Macaw Indian Reservation. Yeah, I bet it's gorgeous. I'm sure it is absolutely. That whole, the Olympic Peninsula is stunning. Mm -hmm. I have family out there. It's so beautiful. It can also be like very creepy. 
Oh, yeah. You're pretty isolated up there. Yes. By, like by your natural surroundings. If you're not like a woods person, which mm-hmm. I am it's not. It's for you. It's <laughs> real scary. Mm-hmm. The quaint B&Bs are few and far between, which like, I don't love. It's you <laughs> Too just, far from the mile for us. It can be quite isolating. Yeah. I yeah. can't go there because I am in perpetual fear that the big one's going to strike while I'm a little Okay. Like, Fair. I mean, if the big one strikes, we're all fucking right. Whatever. That's how I feel about once you get on the airplane, it's like, why even be nervous? It's not going to solve it. Right. Oh, I watched a documentary last night about flight MH370, the one who just disappeared. Yeah. Why do you do that? That's on my list. I refuse to watch it. Oh, I'm going to watch it. You know I am not a good flyer, so it's not for me. Mm -hmm. Also on Netflix, hashtag not an ad, have you watched The Puppet Master? Not yet. Which one is that? I know I've watched it. It's about the con man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a great dramatization film about it. Starring James Norton. Anyway, I digress. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> okay. Toby Maguire. Topher Grace. <laughs> Say, shaving Grace. Shaving Grace. She needs to be shaved. <laughs> we haven't had a good shaving Grace in a long yeah. time. I'll never get a... She needs to be shaved. Shaving Grace. <laughs> she needs to be shaved. <laughs> I want a sweatshirt of just a cartoon version of her Shaving Grace. She needs to be shaved. shaved. (laughs) Anyone's thinking of giving me a gift? (laughs) Get designing. Designers, make it work. Canvasprints.com, get on it. (laughs) Make it work. Make it work. Okay, so he's living in Nia Bay with Tammy. Tammy and Keys have a daughter together in October of 2001. And by all accounts, he was a, quote, loving and doting father. And he has, like, co-workers from the time who were like, yeah, he'd, like, come to work and brag about his kid. And he just seemed like a totally normal so, family like some, guy. Like, some people who knew him said that he seemed like totally normal dude. And then other people who knew him were like, he made my skin crawl. There was something off about him. Yeah. So I think he would, like, kind of switch in and out. And when he was in killer mode, he was creepy as fuck. Yep. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. That's And you can kind of see, if you watch any of the, like, FBI interrogation tapes, you can kind of see that switch switch happening. happening. Mm -hmm. And when he's being, like, normal guy, he just sounds like, chill and laughing mm-hmm. and make it like normal and then all of a sudden he just gets like really quiet or like and dark and there's and like scary. weird pauses like his whole cadence changes mm-hmm. and it's uncanny kind of mm-hmm. it's really this fucker's so creepy it's uh, uh. so mm-hmm. something that's very important to know about tammy is that she traveled a lot for work And Israel took advantage of this in several ways. So one, if she wasn't home, then he wasn't really accountable to anyone else for his whereabouts. And he could kind of roam and commit his crimes. She also was like very chill about him going fishing or like going on a hunting trip or whatever. And he would choose jobs where he would like, he worked a lot in construction so he would like work a job and then have a bunch of time off where he it wasn't like he had to like clock in somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tammy also had racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles and other travel credits. 
And Keys mm-hmm. would regularly use these to kind of crisscross the country. How dare you use someone else's if I fucking, miles? Yeah, if I fucking she, found she out Bill it. was using my Delta miles I would to lose fucking it. wander around murdering people so I miss out on my upgrades when my, I fly, I would lose my I don't care what you're mind. doing with my miles. Don't touch my miles. Don't my, touch my miles. whole life is, is wrapped around my Delta miles. Correct. Whenever Literally. I have a question about MQMs or whatever, I, I have to call you because you understand it. I... Mm-hmm care very deeply about my free upgrades through Delta. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you get two free checked bags and they can be up to 70 yeah. pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real for the bags alone, mm-hmm. y'all. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> she was somehow okay with him using her miles and Keys would crisscross the, real the country. Lunatic? Yeah, red flag. <laughs> Planting murder kits and hunting people for fun. Oh, there we go. So, <laughs> what was that you ask? Murder kits? Yep. <laughs> kind of glossed over. <laughs> Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. So, one of the most chilling aspects of Israel Keys is his unique combination of like meticulousness when it came to, for example, planning his kills and attempting to be untraceable on these like murder missions. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, his seemingly like indiscriminate choice of victims. Mm-hmm. So it's like he was everywhere and nowhere all at once. And like anyone could have been a target. Basically. He's a ghost. Yeah. It's a horrifying combination. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So author Maureen Callahan's book on Keys, which is entitled American Predator, calls him, quote, the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century. I'm going to order that book right now. Yeah. Which is both true and not true. So like, sure. To be fair, though. Right, right, right. Like a lot of other serial killers before him, Keys would ultimately be caught due to a really impulsive and stupid mistake. Mm-hmm. And one could argue that, like, maybe he was escalating or just becoming more unhinged over time or just more, like, impulsive and erratic because mm-hmm. he, at the end, got caught by using a victim's credit card at an ATM. Mm. Which, like, okay. if you're doing all of Seems this sloppy. work. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like yeah. it's very sloppy. He's doing all of this work and this lead up to this to not be traced Mm-hmm. And then suddenly mm-hmm. he does this. It's very odd. What if he got right. to a point where he maybe subconsciously, maybe not sort of wanted to be caught? It's it's mm. possible. Or he was so emboldened by how much he was already getting away with that it's like, well, they're not going to fucking catch me. I don't have to be this meticulous. Mm-hmm. I get. Yeah. I he was know. kind of braggadocious in those FBI interviews, though, too. Yeah. To a degree. A well, he'd had no consequences up right. until this point. It's not like he was ever, like, arrested and let out or served a short sentence and got out and was on, per- like, nothing. Sure. And when you've killed that many people and you've never even been arrested, mm-hmm. like, that's crazy. So, I don't know. I, I do kind of lend some credence to the subconscious wanting to get caught. Sure. Thing. But... I don't know. Also, the interestingly named Tristam Coffin. Uh, Tristam? Hardly known. (laughs) uh, Who is a U.S. attorney for the state of Vermont, described him as a, quote, force of pure evil acting at random. Ew. Which is also pretty apt, I think. 
very unsettling. So Keyes doesn't appear to have really known any of his victims before he murdered them, although there were sightings of him briefly interacting with some of his earlier victims before they were then reported missing and before he kind of changed his M.O. to like really targeting strangers. Mm -hmm. But like none of his murders were personal. He's not like killing a girlfriend or, right, you know, or, like or his killing boss his or, mom over and over right, again, yeah. like my guy right. is doing. Yeah, yeah. He, exactly. He's not like a Ted Bundy, like looking for Any like nerd, yeah. women with long, straight brown hair and a middle part. But then that made these crimes even harder for investigators to solve because you have like a missing 48 year old man and a missing. 18-year-old girl and sure. they could both across in two it, totally different states. It's mm. so random. How do you connect that? Right. And police departments aren't even talking to each other about that shit. Right. 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 Because it's the fucking 90s. So it's Early mostly 2000s. The, tw- the 2000s. Oh, at this point. Yeah. yeah. And they still don't but talk to each other now. I'm just saying they're so fucking so. far away from each other. Even today, they wouldn't He completely exploited that. that on purpose. Mm-hmm. So... Mostly his crimes were opportunistic, but again, he went to these extravagant lengths to concoct geographic alibis to avoid being linked to any missing persons cases or found remains. Mm. So, for example, his MO that he developed over time was to fly to a random city using those fucking miles. Mm, God wasting those fucking miles. Mm-hmm. Literally wasting But like okay. in a way that could be traced that he like booked a flight to this city. He wanted that Alibi. to be documented. Yeah. Right. Book a hotel room in his name mm-hmm. there in that city, but then not yep. even really check into that room. Mm-hmm. Turn off his phone, leave it off for days at a stretch. So that's honestly one of the more telling instances say, is like when yeah. his phone was off for like he's 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 killing Mm -hmm. he out murdering yeah Mm -hmm. then he would rent a car often using cash because now he doesn't want this to be traced and drive absurdly long distances to a totally different location so like for example he would fly from washington state to chicago rent a car and then drive to upstate new york whoa abduct a victim, commit his crimes, and then move the body to yet another location to dispose of them before then returning to his alibi location. Mm-hmm. Move the body in the rental cars? Uh, yeah. Yeah. At his destination point, he would have already buried, sometimes years before, a murder kit or what he dubbed his kill caches that contained weapons and items that he needed to dispose of a victim's body. For example, guns, shovels, rope, duct tape, tarp, Drano, lye, zip ties, fucking all the things. Mm-hmm. How do you keep track of where you're burying all that shit? He, he, I don't know. I don't think they found like a journal or anything. I think it's just all in his head. What mm. a So he would later tell investigators that he had up to 12 of these kits still buried across the country at the time of his arrest. But they believe that there are likely even more out there because he was all found one like in your yard. If you people could, they're out there. They're probably not in a yard, but they're uh, they're out there. Mm. Wow. And there are photos on the drive of some of them that were found. So go check them out. They're usually in like a Home Depot bucket 
and they're mm. either buried or they're like half buried and then covered up with like rocks. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Oh my God, ick. <gasps> so yeah, keep an eye out for Home Depot buckets like poking out of the ground and we'll the neighborhood fucking near do. you. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Also, he flew through the Minneapolis airport a lot. <gasps> oh, great. Mm-hmm. It's a Delta hub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Use those miles. <laughs> so in this way, he planned each kill far, far in advance, scoping out hunting grounds for months or again, even years beforehand. He particularly liked to abduct victims from campgrounds and hiking trails or like other remote areas. He was very outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like people go missing in those circumstances all the time. Mm-hmm. It's going to leave less of a footprint. No and service. Fewer, fewer witnesses. Yeah. Animals. Mm-hmm. They're getting lost. It's normal to have like strange cars in the parking lot. There aren't like yep. cameras at the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he would often use secluded boat launch sites to dispose of bodies without being seen. So, like, a big part of what Josh has done in in True Crime Bullshit is, like, tracking, like, which areas have these, like, remote boat launches that he put together kind of a map, a potential map that he would be very drawn to. Mm. Is that to launch a boat into the lake to dispose of the body or to just kind of just throw it on in at the launch? Well, he had a boat. But True. he wasn't bringing his boat with him. Or right. he's flying yeah. to a lot of these places. Yeah. So I'm guessing not with a boat, but just like access to water. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. Perhaps equally chilling is the fact. Oh, he also like really had a predilection for like abducting people from parking lots or like Ugh. dropping their vehicle after he had kidnapped them, dropping their vehicles back off. That's one of my biggest fears because I definitely am the kind of person who like dicks around in my car on my phone and disassociates for a little bit, like right after I get into my car and I'm probably going to forget to lock my door. Like that's exactly, and I'm aware that this is not like super safe behavior, but like who doesn't dick around on their phone in a parking lot for a hot minute or when they get home, sit in their car for an extra 10 minutes. Out, out in front of your house. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a sitting fucking duck is basically what I'm saying. I do that. It's bad. I have a bad habit of as soon as I park, the first thing I do is open my door and then I gather mm, my then shit. And grab all your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. I don't do those yeah. things. Well, you. Also, my car automatically locks after like a minute of you in it. Mine doesn't. I mean, I have a 2016. I don't have bells and whistles yeah. the way that y'all do. Yeah, well, my Kia is fancy. Y'all fancy people do. Yeah. No, I don't do that, but I'm also super paranoid about cars and I will absolutely like check my back seat at night before getting in. (laughs) Are you part of it? You are very, you got stranger danger in and around your car. Real bad. I do. (laughs) I grew up with a lot of horror stories. Yeah. The foot thing. yeah. Yeah. The guy waiting in the back of my mom's friend's car with a knife. You guys know that story. Yeah. Mm. I think it was at the Galleria. Doesn't your mom like also have a friend who was picked up by Ted Bundy yes. but like survived? Yeah. Friend, I, I would think probably is a stretch. It was someone she worked with briefly, but yeah. I'm actually shocked you've ever gotten into a car given all the trauma your mother has given you. I have wind trauma now. I have car, car trauma. trauma. Yeah. Yeah. A to lot. be fair, you've only driven a car like a dozen times in your life. <laughs> I- <laughs> I bought my car and it had 12,600 miles on it. And I bought it in 
September 2020. (laughs) And it now has almost 17,000 miles on it. (laughs) And Zach drove it to Tennessee once and back. That wasn't even me driving it. (laughs) That's remarkable. It's it's impressive, really. You're reducing your carbon footprint. I'm proud of you. There you go. Okay. So anyway, (laughs) I literally drive to like the dry cleaners and back like once every three weeks. Like that is my, it's fine. Okay. That's like why okay. it's desirable to buy an old person's car, like a used car from an old person, because they don't oh, yeah. go anywhere and they when take I, real good care of it. When I sell my car, they're going to think that I like am 80 rewound the speedometer. Old. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah. You're a right. church grocery store home kind of gal. Sure mm. am. <laughs> Podiatrist. Yeah, no, she's a podiatrist target and pediatrician home. target home. Yeah. <laughs> when I bought my car, the lady was like, where's the first place you're going to go in your new blah, blah, blah? Like, you know, when you're signing all the paperwork, they're making small talk. Yeah. And I go, Target. <laughs> and Beaming. I had to, I had, she was, Can't wait. She was like, oh. And I, so I had to like step in and he was like, we've been living out of the country. So she's very excited about Target. Target. <laughs> There's this place. Have you heard of it? It's called Target. It's a magical land. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, again, didn't have a victim profile. His victims included both men and women, although he definitely had more female than male victims, as far as we know. They range in age from preteen, although he tried to deny all of the under 18 people, but they're definitely young teenage victims. Was it a Mm -hmm. sexual thing? A lot of times sexual, okay. not exclusively, but a lot of times to like 55 years old that we know of, probably older. I mean, we just don't know. He mostly preyed on individuals, but one of his confirmed cases th- that's quite well known is that of a middle-aged couple and he abducted them together. The farmhouse one? Yeah. Ugh. So he, again, tried to claim after he was caught that he had never killed children or, quote, parents of children, but investigators don't believe this to be true. And it's more likely that he was just trying to distance himself from certain crimes that he wasn't like proud of or that he didn't want his own daughter to find out about later. He he didn't want, unlike a lot of serial killers, he didn't want public attention and public notice. He didn't sure. want to be like famous or in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And again, Cross fucking country, man. So he lived and worked in Utah, Washington, Texas, Oregon, Alaska, Maine, and New York. God. And his potential crime map extends to all of those places and like Montana, Vermont, California, Pennsylvania, Florida, Canada, Belize. Like he probably killed Egypt. some folks while he was on vacation in Belize. Possibly Egypt. He definitely like raped someone in Egypt. Mm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Israel. It's mind blowing. Yeah. It's he's fucking everywhere. It's absolutely bonkers. So in total, after his arrest, he's admitted to killing 11 people or in his words, quote, less than a dozen, which is so gross. First of all, it's fewer. (laughs) 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 He was homeschooled. (laughs) I'm not giving this guy a whole lot of slack. It's believed he likely had many, many more victims. And 
I feel like trying to tackle some of these cases chronologically might make the most sense. So the first case that is often attributed to him, but to which he never admitted, is the murder of 12-year-old Julie Harris. And she's such a sweet little peanut. Like, look on the drive. Julie Harris, she's just absolutely darling and super talented so Peanut. she's so cute. Peanut. I know. Yeah. And super talented and accomplished. So she had prosthetic feet and was a special Olympics medalist in wow. skiing. Dang. At 12. Mm-hmm. And That's in amazing. 1996, when Israel was just 18 years old, Julie was seen talking to him at a community pool in Colville, Washington, where he lived. And then soon thereafter, she disappeared while waiting outside for a ride to church. Honey. And her prosthetic feet were found first at the mouth of the Colville River. And then a year later, her remains were found a few miles oh from there. Oh, my God. They found her feet first. Ugh. Yeah. That's so sad. That's really sad. So then in 1997, five miles south of Colville, uh, the trailer home of Marlene and Cassie Emerson was found burned out with Marlene's remains inside the home still. Marlene was 29. Mm. And her daughter, Cassie, was 12, and she was missing um, and initially presumed kidnapped. But then one month later, Cassie's decomposed body was found about three miles away on a logging trail. Mm. So when people say that he was, like, super meticulous and never killed near where he lived and all this stuff, it's like, that eventually became the case, but that was not sure. initially the case. Like, he, yeah, he was staying pretty close to home in the beginning right, here. Right, got to escalate. Yeah, and he was, you know, eighteen and nineteen, so he didn't have he didn't have access to those miles. Oh. Yeah, yeah, literally, <laughs> those sweet, sweet miles. He didn't have enough credit for a Delta Amex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fucking gold medallion status, platinum, oh. platinum. Sorry, <laughs> okay, oh, keys, keys did not make it to platinum. No. Ticket. Um, Ticket. <laughs> Platinum. Um, so he, again, not, he didn't really want to admit to this one, I think, because Cassie was 12. Um, but he did admit to an unspecified arson in this area in this time period. So, like, he fucking did this. Mm-hmm. He's also been credibly linked to the disappearance of 19-year-old Susie Lyle in Albany, New York, where oh my he God, was. I know a Susie Lyle. Oh my God! Jesus, yes, one of my mom's friends. Oh, that's specific. Well, Susie was heading back to her dorm after her work shift at a local mall that Keys was known to frequent. Ugh. So again, all of these were before Keys turned 21 and before he enlisted in the army, and it's significant that they occurred near where he was living because he hadn't quite figured out his fucking mo yet. So in 2000 or 2001, his girlfriend Tammy told investigators that a male neighbor of theirs went missing after going on a hike in the Nia Bay area. Mm. So we don't know that neighbor's name. Then there is a name that she cites and it's in the FBI files, but it's redacted. Okay. And he's been linked to a lot of other missing persons cases in the Pacific Northwest during these early 2000s. We, in our format, we don't have time to get into it. Right. Then in 2007, now he is broken up with Tammy and he moves to Anchorage, Alaska and starts his own construction business. Ew. Home Depot. <gasps> oh, yeah. He, yeah. He had all the tools and everything. He was skilled in building yeah, he, he shit. He built a cabin at 16. Yeah, he was a skilled laborer yeah. for sure. 
So one case for which we have slightly more information is the 2009 disappearance of 48-year-old Deborah Feldman in Tupper Lake, New York. And Deborah struggled with drug addiction for many years and was a survival sex worker. And she disappeared from Hackensack, New Jersey. And he never admitted to her murder, but her name was found in his, like, search history. Ugh. But he had misspelled her first name because there are different ways to spell Deborah. Mm. Anyway, but he was searching for her name and missing persons. And so then the FBI asked him about this in the interrogations. And when presented with her photograph, his like mood shifted really dramatically. And he got quiet for a long time and like the whole mood in the room changed. And then he said, quote, I don't want to talk about her yet. Oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, he's the absolute worst. One case that he was, for whatever reason, keen to admit to, even though they never found their bodies, was the double murder of Bill and Lorraine Courier in Vermont in 2011. So Bill and Lorraine were a quiet couple. They liked to bird watch decorate mm. for Christmas and invite neighbors over to their pool. Oh my God. Mm. I love they're, bird watching. I know. They're just like a sweet, they just like kind of seem like they like to have a good time and, mm. you know, we're pretty chill. They seem like neighbors. Nice neighbors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two years before the, well, fucking two years before the murders, Keys had hidden a murder kit near their home. He had already scoped out their home. He didn't know them from Adam, but he, again, flew to Chicago and then drove to Essex, Vermont, where they lived. He told investigators that he chose their home because it ticked a lot of boxes for him. It had an attached garage, no kids and no dog. And it had a predictable floor plan or layout where he could like quickly and quietly find the main bedroom. At night. So one night, Keys broke in through the garage and rushed into the bedroom wearing a headlamp. And he startled the sleeping couple and then he managed to restrain them using zip ties. And again, he's got army training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he knows how to like burst into a room and like control the situation. Yeah. He then moved them to a second location, which was an abandoned farmhouse that, of course, he had already scoped out, separated them. He puts Bill in the basement, and then he sexually assaults Lorraine upstairs. At one point, Bill tried to escape, but Keyes caught him and hit him over the head with a shovel and then shot him to death. Oh, Jesus. And then he, I mean, it's really horrific, but he brought Lorraine downstairs to, like, see this and be even more terrified horrified yeah and then he strangled her and he doused both bodies with drano and i don't actually know like i don't i I don't think their bodies have ever been recovered i i had like some memory that he lit the farmhouse on fire but i guess that's not true or i invented that memory i couldn't find information about that but then he took his murder kit and reburied it elsewhere for use at another point great what did he do with their bodies? I don't know. Oh. Dissolve them? He, it he, sounds he, like he tried to. He tried to. I don't know. I don't think they've been found. Mm-hmm. In my brain, he had lit the farmhouse on fire, but I guess that I, that's not right. I can't remember. Okay. So he just confessed to all of this? That's the only reason we know what happened to them? Yeah. Wow. 
he he was a big talker after he he, he can it was really interesting and kind of odd which ones he confessed to and confirmed right. and which ones he hinted at because he didn't blab about all of them no for sure. and some and some of them he didn't want to talk about at all but they really pushed him on this one i think maybe he had also searched for their names mm. i don't know i'm probably muddling this part up i'm sorry josh okay finally the case that would end his fucking non-stop horror fest that of samantha koenig Mm-hmm. So in 2012, Samantha was 18 years old and working as a barista at a small drive through coffee stand in Anchorage, Alaska. And these like little mm-hmm. coffee shacks are quite common in like the Pacific Northwest and I guess in Alaska, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally just like a, a drive through window, a box with a drive through yeah, window. Yeah. yeah. They have a couple of them in Massachusetts, too. Oh, I've seen. Okay. They have them here mm-hmm. in Iowa. Oh, but they're less common than like a caribou or a Starbucks or whatever. Right, they're super common out west. I feel like, but it's Mm -hmm. like a box in a parking lot. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They have a bunch of those those scooters coffee stands in Mm -hmm. Nebraska. That's what we have here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was working at one of those eighteen. Just like I mean, I feel like this is a job that we would have had. Like absolutely, you know. On the morning of February 1st, Keyes kidnapped her at gunpoint. He raped her and murdered her all in that same day on February 1st. Mm-hmm. Then later that day, when her boyfriend texted her about picking her up from work after her shift, like he was supposed to, like, hey, what time do you get off work? Like, when should I pick you up? Keyes made the really weird decision to text back from her phone Ooh, saying... And he had not done that Previously, not that I know of, huh? Saying like pretending to be her and saying that she was tired and quote going on vacation. Okay, which made no sense to the boyfriend or to her family because like first of all she's She's eighteen. Yeah, she can't afford to just be like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm going to drop everything and go on vacation. Yeah, and why wouldn't your boyfriend? At right. 18, note something like that. It was, this is not something an 18-year-old girl is going to do. Right. It was just was setting off a red flag, and they were like, this is not her texting. So, oh, like, God. who has her phone, and why, and where is she? And it just, like, set the whole ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And then things just kind of went more off the rails from there. So he left her body in a shed, and then he went on vacation Oh, good for him. He went on a two-week cruise in the Mm. Gulf of Mexico with his girlfriend and daughter. Wow. Okay. So he's a cruise guy. He's a cruise guy. Yet another red flag. That is a huge red flag. This is getting egregious. But it's February in Alaska, right? Yeah. So she's not decomposing that quickly. I mean, yes and no. I mean, she's still... We're about to get to it, actually. It's an interesting point. It is very cold. Yeah. He then, after the cruise, returns to Alaska, returns to the shed, and using a four-day-old newspaper, he poses her body for a photo in an attempt to make it look like she was still alive. The fuck? She's been dead for two weeks. Didn't he sew her eyes open or something like yes. that? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. This is stuff that he had not done before, as far as we know, and demanded a $30,000 ransom. Okay, which also he had not done Which he had not done before. He got most of his money from, like, working construction, and then he also, and we didn't even have time to cover this before, but he also was, like, a prolific bank robber. This guy's insane. (laughs) (laughs) He robbed a lot of banks. I couldn't get into it. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Ugh. Okay. And he's mooching off miles. He doesn't have mooching to spend money miles. on that. He had all this cash. He got paid in cash, I'm sure, for a lot of his construction work and then cash from the bank robberies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Whatever. Oh, he was also a prolific bank robber? It's a lot. <laughs> it can't get... Go listen to true crime bullshit. Oh, yeah. yeah. So none of this whole ransom posing any of this shit worked. And he then dismembered her body and disposed of it in Matanuska Lake. Because, mm-hmm. again, he's living in Alaska at this time, so he does have access to his boat at this time. Sure. Although it's February, but it must be a big enough lake that it's not frozen solid. Yeah, it might be like a Lake Superior type yeah. situation. It might be like, well, I don't know if it's like a freshwater lake, but if it's like seawater. Ocean channel ocean water. seawater lake right. type thing, yeah. Then he makes this inexplicably dumb mistake that I mentioned earlier. He uses Samantha's credit card at an ATM in Texas. Mm. which tipped off authorities to his location and or like the location of someone who has her credit card. Sure. And they found a witness who could identify his rental car that he had parked while he used that ATM. And then a state trooper notices the vehicle and pulls him over and he is finally fucking arrested. Damn. I have a question. Yeah. Sorry. When he made the ransom demand, who did he send that to? Her family. Her family, yeah. Okay. In like a letter, right? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Because hmm. um, he included that creepy picture mm-hmm, that he staged right. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this God. is literally his first arrest with the exception of like a DUI a decade prior. I can't. So investigators interviewed Keys extensively, which we've talked about while he was in custody, but they adopted a pretty light... And some say overly friendly approach. Obviously, this is a strategy. They're not actually friends with him, but like mm-hmm. investigators. There's such a thing as too far. Yeah, it's a little too friendly. It's a, it's, it's a little much. And I yeah. understand well, he's white. that <laughs> he's white and he is friendly at times. Mm-hmm. And he's kind I, of a bro. I could feel him. I could see him getting along with cops. He mm-hmm. fe- he seems harmless. Mm-hmm. Like when you hear mm-hmm. his voice, which is like so scary, mm-hmm. he seems totally harmless, but obviously he's pure evil. Right. Anyway, investigators have gotten a lot of flack for like being overly friendly. They're desperately trying to solve missing persons cases and get him to keep mm-hmm. talking and not shut down. And eventually they they lose access to him because ultimately on December 10th, 2012, He dies by suicide in his cell after he was accidentally provided with a razor blade. Like someone like Mm -hmm. gave him a shaving kit kit that they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And he first used the blade to draw his blood and sketch a series of 11 skulls and one pentagram writing under one skull, quote, we are one. That's a lot of blood. It's a lot of blood. And there's a photo on the drive of these skulls. They all have crosses on their foreheads too. Yeah, they mm-hmm. have like There's... Ash Wednesday crosses. Good call, good call. Mm-hmm. The up, but like upside down, which kind of like yep. suggests the Satanism yep. stuff. And then there's like um, like a... Like a pentagram with a goat head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for drawing Definitely. this in his own blood, he's pretty, pretty good, good at it. Yeah, it's impressive. I was going to say they're not that great, but okay. The pentagram is quite good and detailed, in my opinion. I'm, the skulls are like, eh. I'm also thinking of when I took my um, 
<laughs> that the blood test with the with the with the food allergies. Yeah. Mm. And I was distracted and I bled all over the card. <laughs> yes. It's hard to you control can... your blood flow. It is. That's true. <laughs> anyway, he also left a four-page handwritten like suicide note slash poem. Written entitled, in blood? No. Written in writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was entitled An Ode to Murder, which is like, fuck you. Very fucking stupid. Again, he was homeschooled. And I'm not going to quote any of it because fuck this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. Mm-mm. So, wow. The end. I'm exhausted. Damn. Jesus Go listen to Christ. True Crime Bullshit for more. There is so, so much, much more. more. So much. So much. Wow. Well, that's a. I mean, that was good. That was like a a very detailed summary for sure. Thank you. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. Nice. And I on. have listened to true crime bullshit, and there were some things in here that I didn't know. Yeah. 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 So wow. yeah, I did good my job. best. I might have fucked some shit up. I'm sorry. I'm trying. Well, okay. hopefully Josh will get in contact and let us know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we hear a quick word from our sponsors, Home Let's Depot do it. Buckets? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Want to smell better naked? Let's face it. Our underarms aren't the only place that we have body odor. Okay, we're all grown-ups here. Yep. We can admit it. Some of us have funky balls. (laughs) Okay. Okay. My hand is raised. I mean, not personally, but yeah. You don't know. (laughs) Which is why we're excited to tell you about Lumi Whole Body Deodorant for Pits, Privates, and Beyond. Oh, God bless. This is the first of its kind whole body deodorant. Lumi is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. Pits, underboobs, thigh folds, belly buttons, butt cracks, vulvas, feet. Like, I'm thinking these are the hot zones of, like, everywhere that I get funky when I travel. Mm -hmm. Think about, like, You've been on a plane. You're in the middle seat. You're in. You're mm-hmm. stuck there for like four hours between two snoring men, mm-hmm. and you get off that plane, and all you want to do is get to the bathroom and freshen up. Just yep. pull your Lumi out of your bag, and you are gonna feel so much better. This was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how just normal body odor is being misdiagnosed and mistreated, and this is clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. And if you're wondering how, it's because unlike some deodorants that just mask odor with a fragrance, Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's more like a pre-deodorant. It's also aluminum-free, it's baking soda-free, it's paraben-free, it's pH balance for safe use below the belt. That is so important. That's huge. And you can choose from a variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, my personal fave, or toasted coconut. And Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like, say, the mini body wash and deodorant wipes. Love. And free shipping. And as a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code GALS at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code GALS, G-A-L-S. So treat your whole body. Treat it. They say that hair care is the new skin care, and we do so much to take care of our hair, but I feel like we neglect a very important step, okay? There's something we forget about, and there is one brand that has taken it 
to the next level with a cult-like following, Kitsch, okay? Mm -hmm. Kitsch has created game-changing essentials that beauty enthusiasts swear by. I'm talking about the satin pillowcases that are absolutely amazing and good for protecting your hair. Also, time-saving towels. Mm -hmm. Kitsch knows hair care does not stop in the shower. That is right. I have been completely obsessed with my satin pillowcases from Kitsch, and I have noticed an improvement in like my hair breakage mm-hmm. and also in my skin. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So whatever your budget, your skin type, or your hair type, Kitsch believes that you deserve little indulgences at affordable prices morning, noon, and night. Started in 2010 by selling hair ties door-to-door. That's a tough business model. Oh, cute. Literally just a hustle and a dream. Kitsch is self-funded, female-founded, and now carried in over 20,000 retail locations. Kitsch's bestsellers include their satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks. And satin is vegan and cruelty-free, FYI. Love that. And like we said, they are so great for your hair and skin while you sleep. They also have shampoo and conditioner bars. Yes, bars. This is bottle-free beauty, baby. And they have heatless satin curling rollers. So say bye-bye to heat damage. And there are TikTok videos of people throwing away their $600 curlers for these heatless satin curling rollers instead. I got to get my mitts on these. It's an amazing product, and it Mm -hmm. is only a fraction of the price of those expensive curlers at $18. Get out of here. Kitsch also has quick dry hair towels. I'm obsessed. And classic hair ties and scrunchies and so, so, so much more. I have so much hair on my head now. Those quick dry hair towels are an actual miracle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so don't sleep on this one, y'all. Right now, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash gals. That's right. 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H, dot com slash gals one more time mykitch.com slash gals for 30% off your order and treat your hair and skin treat it all right you guys ready for my case i'm ready to not be talking about israel keys anymore i mean not like this guy's much better but whatever i mean again the hierarchy is not possible yeah not possible yeah So Glenn Edward Rogers was born on July 15th, 1962. He's a cancer. Mm. He's sensitive. Mm. He likes to fish. (laughs) He loves to fish. It's a nonviolent sport. (laughs) In Hamilton, Ohio. He was one of seven kids, six boys and one girl. That poor girl. The only thing I could think of was that scene in Bridesmaids where she's like, the other day I cracked a blanket in half. Seven boys. Yeah. Six boys. Bye-bye. I hope she wasn't the youngest. Can you imagine having six older brothers? Again, I'd launch myself into the sun. No. Um, No. (laughs) This was a working class family in Ohio. His behavior from an early age was aff. Um, But we now understand why, which we'll get to. Specifically, he was very emotionally disconnected. Um, Apparently, as a kid, he would, like, intentionally hurt himself by banging his head on things, like, on purpose, but then not 
react to pain like at all oh my god that's creepy on the autism spectrum i'm guessing uh it's possible i mean we don't have a diagnosis i mean he was born in the 60s it's like (laughs) yeah they're not gonna fucking know yeah they don't know um but this was almost certainly a response to abuse that he was experiencing in his household uh at the hands of his mother Mm. um who was a redheaded piece of work named edna and he uh, recalls a specific incident where she quote slapped him so hard he was unable to breathe while he was like a toddler like he was still in diapers oh my god and i don't know if he recalls it or it's like he grew up knowing that this had happened but wow yeah he was certainly physically abused by her and i'm assuming other children in the home war as well long enough that he has memories of this happening wow as a tween, he and his siblings lashed out, committing burglaries in the neighborhood, mostly just to get, like, cash for drugs and alcohol because they're, like, seven kids crammed in this house so, and being so abused. So similar so mm-hmm. far. Yeah, I know. He was sent to reform school at the age of 12 to, like, set him straight, but he struggled relentlessly in school and was eventually expelled at 16 years old for failing every subject. He opted not to pursue any further education and instead cared for his father at their home after his father had suffered a massive stroke that had left him bedridden Mm. for like an extended period of time. So now he's back in the home where he experienced so much abuse at the hands of his mother and his father is not well. And he catches his mother, I guess, like at a bar or something with another man. And then he beat that guy that he saw her with with a baseball bat. After finding them together. Ooh. Yeah. So he's got a lot of issues. Yeah. I also just want to, sorry, I just want to say my comment about the autism spectrum before, obviously, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I was just guessing. Mm. And like the head, it's entirely possible, can be a symptom. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. I just want to clarify that. Yeah, that's fair. Mm hmm. So Glenn moves out of his home shortly after this altercation and uh, begins to live with his 14-year-old girlfriend, Debbie. Oh. How old is she? How old is she? She's he? 14. He's like 16 or 17. Oh, 16. My God. 17. Yeah. It's a mess. Debbie soon becomes pregnant but confesses to Glenn that the child is not his. This is where we get into Vanderpump Rules territory. Okay, guys? It gets nuts. Oh, no. Do I need to get the whiteboard? get the whiteboard no (laughs) glenn continues the relationship with debbie marries her in 1980 when she's 15 and like she must have gotten parental permission and adopts the child as his own and the couple welcomes a second child together when glenn is 19 and debbie is 16 this was shockingly not a happy home oh well they've both had such good behavior modeled for them yeah right and they're both fully developed in the brain. Totally. Exactly. No no red flags. No added stresses um, or pressure. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And Glenn was often physically abusive to Debbie. In one particularly violent outburst, Glenn accused Debbie of cheating on him. And when she denied it, he kicked her in the crotch with steel-toed boots on, leaving injuries so severe that Debbie needed to undergo corrective surgery. Oh, my God. To her pelt. Just shat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ugh. By 1985, Glenn and Debbie get divorced. I don't know how you come back from you shattered my crotch. Yeah. And Glenn leaves Ohio for California where his brother Clay kind of takes him, takes him in, like not under his wing in like a 
crimey way, but in like a you're my brother, you can I'll help you get on your feet. Mm-hmm. He meets a new woman who he has a son with, but despite moving with her to the suburbs and attempting like a quieter existence, his drug addiction and violent behavior and drinking all escalate because mm-hmm. he's been he's been involved with drugs now since he was like 12. Mm-hmm. By the age of 23, he is regularly using cocaine and heroin as well as abusing alcohol. In one instance, he allegedly wound up in the emergency room after injecting Budweiser directly into his veins. Oh, honey, Budweiser? No. Oh, Budweiser. No. Oh, no. Yeah, why Budweiser? No. It's cheap, and it's what he had lying around, probably. blow out your veins before you get any drunker. There's Jeez. bubbles in there. I, it's not like it's mm. vodka, which I, I also don't condone, but like... I, maybe don't <laughs> inject... Any alcohol in your bloodstream. At le- start with boofing, at least. Yeah, soak a tampon. <laughs> Keep up. Drink it. Yeah. Oh, that too. Start with boofing. Drink it. Drink it. <laughs> the hospital staff noted in his chart that, quote, Glenn is a mentally ill person subject to hospitalization by court order. He represents a risk of physical harm to himself as manifested by evidence of threats of or attempts of suicide. So he had tried to like intentionally overdose before then on multiple substances. He was not hospitalized, however, and is eventually sent to prison for multiple incidents of public intoxication and assault. But like he's, you know, he serves not a super long Mm -hmm. sentence for that and doesn't get any kind of like mental health assistance. Yeah, it's just a little blip. Right. So now he's 25, he's behind bars, and he gets released after serving just about a year and has nowhere else to go and no real, like, transferable skills. So he literally joins a traveling circus. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. There's the cross-country. He's traveling cross-country with the circus from about 1989 to 1993, and some buck-wild shit happens while he's on the This is also, like, not... Prime circus years. This is like no, the babe. Cir- it's the late eighties, early nineties. Circus 90s. is already real sad. Yeah, yeah. We've already started to phase out the circus at this point. Oh, uh, I am. You know what? After doing this podcast, I'm. You can't be shocked by anything I'm not, anymore. I'm not ever going to the circus. Oh, absolutely not. Ever. No. No. I went once when I was six. Like the state fair is like the most I will ever do. I think a county fair is kind of fun. No, the people working there. mm -mm. Unless it's like a a mom and pop shop selling like donut holes or something. You know that like Apple Days is basically a county fair, right? Apple Days is beautiful. (laughs) Well, so I'm just saying. There are little there aren't carnies little, at, at There are not yeah. at Apple Days. That's what I'm saying. But there are some little like county fair things like that that aren't scary corny. I've been to little county fair. I've been. I know. I'm okay. saying now I won't go like cruise ships unless it's a Viking right. River cruise in Europe. Oh my God, same. So <laughs> on January luxury. 7th, I know I want to do they that. They still so. dump their trash. Uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. Don't care. But everything's no more gone Just let, let us have this. All right. On January 7th, 1991, elderly Thomas Allen Wolsifer is found dead in his nursing home. And Glenn was in the area at the time and allegedly bragged at a bar that he had killed him by injecting whiskey into his Why veins. Why are you doing this? 
Where did this idea know. come from? Probably I fucking, don't fucking Edna. Know. Probably. This is not confirmed. Police did not investigate this claim, but he is still suspected all these years later of being involved in this random man's death. That same year, Glenn was charged with reckless driving, causing a fire, creating a substantial risk of physical harm to property or physical harm to property of another without their consent and has a second degree misdemeanor. So like he's he's busy. Yeah, he's busy. He's busy. In September of 1991, he's admitted to the hospital after attempting to take his own life via overdose of Motrin and once again injecting alcohol directly into his veins. I feel like these are cries for help, not that. Uh Uh-huh. Like, because this is nuts if you actually. This this is not. What he's doing is not being successful. Right. If he's, you know. Alcohol just does not lend itself to intravenous activities. Not really. He survives and is released from the hospital. A few months later, in January of 1992, a young woman named Carrie Ellen Gaskins is found stabbed to death in Bethel, Ohio. This is another suspected but not confirmed victim of Glenn's. She was a sex worker who had potentially been, quote unquote, pimped in articles, term not mine, by Glenn, and was found dead by her own daughter. And it does, there are things about her case that very much fit his eventual M.O., the stabbing, the red hair, things like that. But he was not investigated in her death and he hits the road again with the circus. Oh, that's why you mentioned Edna's red hair because he, ha- mm-hmm. uh, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll circle back to that later on in this case. But like most of his victims were women and were redheads, wow. like women that kind of reminded him of his mom and often sex workers. And he thought his mom was like, quote unquote, a slut for, for like stepping out on his dad. Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of mommy issues and he's definitely like that's his primary motivation Mm -hmm. for what he's doing. So in 1993, things with circus staff seem to get strained. Mm. Glenn gets in a fist fight with a co-worker at the Wagon Wheel Flea Market (gasps) in Pinellas County, Florida. That sounds amazing, though. Yeah, I I know. I really want to go. And see a fist fight. Hi, that's my kind of flea market. (laughs) Can you imagine what a great day out that would be? Get the popcorn. Their manager, uh, the flea market manager, called the police, but Glenn had fled the scene by the time the police arrived. Three days later, he's, like, found by police kind of just wandering around town, covered in blood and bruised from head to toe. He claims to have been assaulted by his boss with a metal pipe. His boss, William Harris, was charged with battery. And this is Glenn's big exit from the circus because you kind of can't come back from your boss beating you with a metal pipe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he leaves Florida and he returns to Ohio, his, where he's from originally. Shortly after his return to Ohio, 16-year-old Kelly Lynn Camargo is found dead in Hamilton, Ohio, his hometown. It's possible that Kelly was also a sex worker and it was confirmed that she was last seen leaving a popular but kind of rough-and-tumble biker bar. Mm-hmm. And though Glenn, again, is suspected in this murder, he's once again not ultimately tied to it. Then on January 10th, 1994, Police found the remains of 71-year-old Mark Peters, a retired electrician and veteran, in a cabin in Beattyville, Kentucky, mm. that belonged to the family of Glenn Rogers. Mark and Glenn had met like a year or so prior, and Mark, they'd become friends. I think they just like met at the bar or whatever. And Glenn's, you know, he's out of the circus. He's on hard times. He doesn't have solid employment or housing. So Mark had taken Glenn in and allowed him to live in his home since like about the spring of 1993. No, never taken astray, man, Carney. (laughs) Yeah. 
But in October of 1993, Mark is reported missing along with his car and several valuable personal items, including antiques that he owned, guns, and a collection of coins. Of course. He also, yep. so he targeted his mom, basically, and like a lot of older men, older men. So his dad. Vulnerable older men. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Hadn't even thought about that. Glenn had disappeared and reported, like Glenn, the, the, the perp, had also disappeared around this time. And reportedly his brother Clay tipped off the police to search the family cabin, knowing that he'd been like staying there for a while, mm. leading to the discovery of Mark the old man, his remains, which at that point were like mostly just a skeleton found bound to a chair and like kind of hidden behind a pile of furniture. Oh my God. How fucking creepy is that? Yeah. Yeah. Glenn is nowhere to be found. He had taken off to California and this was the 90s. So you could just still kind of like leave and nobody could just hop on the internet, like look up everything about you. And to, you know, Lucy's point, in the keys case, like these police, they're not talking. To investigators each other. are not talking to each other, and there isn't like a big internet database. Yeah. So it was easier to just leave the state and kind of fly under the radar for a while. The 1990s were closer to the 1910s than they are to 2000. In Literally. terms of like so much has true changed. crime investigation. Yeah, so much has changed and evolved in terms of technology in our lifetime that, like, a lot of this is kind of unheard of now, but it was happening as recently Forensic as files the 90s. had barely begun. Barely. Mm-hmm. So he goes about his life in California despite being wanted for murder in Ohio, and I think they were running, at least at some point, he was, like, on America's Most Wanted. Like, mm-hmm. they were trying to use whatever mediocre channels were actually available to us at the time yeah. to try and locate him, but it just... I mean, the the country's big. So, and despite being arrested in July of 1995 for assault with a deadly weapon for which he served 36 days in prison. What the fuck? And and then again in September for violently assaulting his new girlfriend, he still wasn't connected to and therefore turned over to Ohio authorities or even given a longer sentence for the second assault. He's a repeat offender of violent assault. Yep. But the he wasn't given a longer sentence in the second assault that he was arrested for in California because the judge was just unaware of the previous charges and assault and sentence and had no clue that he was wanted in Ohio. Wow. So he was released on time served after two days. What? Oh, my yep. God. After assaulting his girlfriend. The same month he's released, September of 1995, Sandra Gallagher, a 33-year-old mother of three, crossed paths with Glenn Rogers at McRed's Bar in Van Nuys, California. The next day, Sandra's badly burned remains were found in her car near Glenn's Van Nuys apartment, and it was determined that she had her cause of death were multiple stab wounds, which is in his MO. And then he had lit like the car on fire to try and cover evidence. Authorities allege that after murdering her, Glenn Rogers left and went to Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida, killing a woman in each state. Wow. Yeah, he's bouncing around now. He's bouncing. In Jackson, Mississippi, a woman named Kathy Carroll meets Glenn at a beer tent at the Mississippi State Fair. So that's not safe either. Damn it. The Mississippi State Fair, probably not high on my list. Probably not. (laughs) But yeah, Minnesota's got a great one. Yeah. Who do you think staffs the state fairs, though? Mm, I don't know. I don't know what you got. I need some joy in my life. 
Well, you can't have it. That's why they're all on a different weekend all summer. It's the same set of cruel. <laughs> so Kathy's Kathy meets Glenn. Kathy introduced Glenn to her sister, Linda, Linda Price. And Linda thinks Glenn is cute. So the two kind of strike up a little relationship and they even briefly share an apartment in Jackson, Mississippi. But Kathy would suddenly stop hearing from her sister after like they had this last conversation the night before Halloween in 1995, where Kathy is like, "Okay, I'm going to bring my grandkids over to your apartment building for Halloween to take them trick or treating in the apartment building. Cute. When Kathy and the kids showed up the next day, Linda doesn't answer the door. They it seems like they're not home. They're like, wait, what the fuck? We they, had plans. They, we had plans, but the kids are here. They're in their costumes. They go trick-or-treating. They kind of go about their business and they're like, okay, well, I guess they just ditched us and they go home. But then a week goes by and Kathy still hasn't heard back from her sister, who she's been like trying to contact mm-hmm. every day. And she alerts her family. And I, I think someone in the family, like parents or somebody, may have had keys, keys to her apartment. Because well, all I could find was that her family goes to the apartment and finds Linda's mutilated body in the bathtub. She had been stabbed in the chest and the buttocks. And Glenn's brother, Clay, claimed that Glenn had called their mother the night of the murder. They had, like, established due to her decomposition, like, the time yeah. of death. And Glenn is like, oh, that same night. He called mom. Or uh, Clay is like, Glenn called mom and left a voicemail on her machine Or he could be heard spanking Linda Price's naked body and saying, I did it again. She was a bad girl, but I'm making her pay for it. Just like you made us pay, mommy. No. Oh, my God. That is so gross. Yup. can't. I can't compute that information. That's the slapping. Oh, it's so fucked up. At least I will I will give Clay, who also sounds like endured a lot of abuse. Yep. He's 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 cooperating. He's narcan. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I don't I don't want I don't care if he's my brother. I don't want him fucking out here mutilating and murdering people. Mm Mm-mm. Ugh. I will give I will give Clay that, but we'll get oh. back to Clay oh, okay. in a little bit. But I mean, it's like a tidbit. It's like it's like eh, Clay, you probably shouldn't have said that, but whatever. Okay. By the time Linda's body is discovered, though, Glenn is has trucked it to Florida, so he's in Florida. He's in the Tampa area, area, area. <laughs> Peanut. He's in the Tampa area. <laughs> Peanut. The Florida area. Mm, Florida. Area. He's a rural. Drug. On November fifth of nineteen ninety five. 34-year-old Tina Marie Cribs was seen leaving the Showtown Bar in Gibsonton, Florida with Glenn Rogers. It's also like right making me sad for like dive bars, which are another I source know. of joy. And well, Budweiser. Yeah. He got a couple of like nicknames, like press nicknames as all of this was breaking. And one of them was the Casanova Killer. Stupid. Because he was like, seducing women and that and like if you look at pictures of him which i put on the drive it's like sir no absolutely fucking not yeah. this is not a casanova That's a this very is very dumb criminal nickname so on a dumb. good day oh no so dumb no no but he was mostly referred to as the cross-country killer for obvious reasons oh, this is not a Casanova. oh no no he's foul anyway a bartender told police that glenn rogers had bought Tina Marie and her friends like around a round of drinks and that Glenn had asked Tina Marie for a ride home after. Mm. 
But two days later, a member of the cleaning staff at the Tampa 8 Inn discovered Tina Marie Cribbs' remains in a bathtub, just like Linda Price in Mississippi. She had been stabbed in the chest and the buttocks. Mm-hmm. What is with that? And a, I mean, it's t- just part t- of his... Ass. Cause yeah, because it's, it's part of, his part thing. of the whole sexual, the sexualizing and shaming, yeah. slut shaming, all this mm-hmm. stuff. A clerk at the motel told authorities that Rogers had arrived at the motel a few days before the murder. And on November 5th, the night of the murder, Rogers paid for an extra night and asked that his room not be cleaned. Mm. Do not disturb. So I'm, I'm just going to address anyone working in a hotel to cup to the door. Under those circumstances, that's shady. I don't know. I mean, I've I've put the sign on the door when I was I like, get it. I usually have the sign on the door. I always <laughs> have the sign on the door. I usually just don't explicitly go to the front like, desk don't. and go, I'm going to say an extra night, don't go in my room. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's a step too far. Yeah. The clerk saw Rogers putting his belongings into a white Ford Festiva, which was later confirmed to be Tina Marie's car. The next day, Tina Marie's wallet was discovered at a rest area in northern Florida, and the fingerprints lifted off of her wallet and also collected in the motel room matched Glenn Rogers' fingerprints, which were in a system because he had been arrested multiple times. Right, he'd served time, yeah. Yep. So they may have been hot on his trail, but he was already on his way to Louisiana, where four days after killing Tina Marie on November 9th of 1995, he murders another woman, 37-year-old Andy uh, Giles Sutton, who he had picked up at a bar after being invited back to her apartment in Bossier or Bossier city, Louisiana. Andy was found dead on her punctured waterbed with stab wounds. So he had stabbed her on her bed and it like exploded her waterbed and her roommate found her remains. He had already fled and was making his way back to Kentucky. So he is, he is, he is. He's on a spree. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much time in between these crimes. Nope. Finally, on November 13th, 1995, Glenn Rogers is arrested in Waco, Kentucky. Didn't even know you had one. After a 13-mile chase driving Tina Marie Cribbs' car, which he claimed had been lent to him after he was caught. Yeah, I got oh, no, permission. My, my last victim lent me this. Yeah. If it was lent to him, then explain how the chase only concluded after Glenn made his way through at least one roadblock and the shooting out of his back tires with a shotgun and finally a patrol car literally crashing him into a ditch off the highway. Good lord, man. Uh-huh. Upon his arrest, he said Cribs, uh, Tina Marie Cribs was alive when he left Florida and that he knew nothing about her death. Yeah, I don't know. She just gave I me say, her car. Yeah, LOL, okay, guy. He confirmed... He, his confirmed kills all had s- details in common. The victims were typically strangled and stabbed, and the women that he killed were redheads just like his mother had been. He also had a medical condition that resulted in uniquely colored excrement. What? Likely because there was often blood in his stool. So he- so his shits were like purple. <laughs> And this dude would, no joke, take these huge, bloody, purple shits in his victim's toilets and then not flush. Oh, my God. Guys, I can't make this up. (laughs) His calling card was like a bowl full of purple shit. Did he have hammerheads? 
Uh, probably, but that wasn't the medical condition. He had like an actual medical condition that I was like, fuck this and guy, I don't care. Always, I just, always I only care about your gross shit. Yeah. Oh, Pretty and, much. and didn't flush. Ugh. Yeah. Could anyone this be guy's... any worse? I mean, this guy in Israel Keys are, could be best Disgusting. BFs. Yeah, they probably could have been best toe. friends. Absolutely foul. I wonder if it had to do with injecting alcohol, too. Uh-huh. Maybe. I mean... It couldn't All have helped any pre-existing condition. Medical Could not conditions. Have yes, girl. Bloody yes. large stool. I mean, you could literally Google Glenn Edward Rogers medical condition bloody stool and you'd find it. But anyway. It could be colitis. It could be proctitis. Diverticular disease. Uh, angio which is abnormal blood vessels in the gastrointestinal tract, or rectal ulcers, which would be which would make sense because this man is a rectal ulcer. He is. <laughs> I don't. I I don't recall it being any of those. Anal I fissure. feel like it's a more rare. I'm gonna keep condition. listing them Anal until you pretend. <laughs> Great. On July 11th, 1997, Rogers was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of Tina Marie Cribs and remains on death row in Florida where he has confessed to multiple murders and they just keep like stacking his charges, though not all of them can be corroborated. In 2012, Glenn popped back into the headlines when Investigation Discovery aired a documentary titled My Brother, the Serial Killer, which focused on the crimes of Glenn Edward Rogers. In this documentary, Glenn's brother Clay, who had been like helpful to police throughout all of his brother's crimes, made kind of an outrageous claim that Glenn Rogers was responsible for the deaths of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. Clay, buddy, I just went to mm. bat for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was like, Ooh. <laughs> So, yeah, he says on camera, quote, I'm absolutely certain that my brother Glenn killed Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman. I know my brother did it because I've seen proof that he was there. All right, Clay. Well, you're absolutely wrong. Shut the fuck up. Surviving family members disagreed, however. While speaking to Mail Online, Nicole's sister Denise was disgusted with this theory and couldn't believe ID would air such an unsubstantiated claim. And honestly, I don't blame her yeah. one bit for having this yeah, that's kind of reaction. Yeah, that's stupid as shit. Like, yeah. Uh, sh- it's, it, yeah, it just co- re-traumatizes the, these surviving family members. And you don't have to invent, uh, your brother was horrifying enough. A, yeah, I, I don't know. So... Denise said in an interview, quote, I don't know of Glenn Rogers, but from what I've heard, he's not famous and wants to be. My thoughts are he should have come forward years ago if fame is what he's seeking. I think it's the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard. I- I've heard in a while and I've heard a lot. Yeah, he is you a big what? bunch You're of right. I love Denise. I think it's the biggest bunch of crap I've heard in a while and I've heard a lot. Yeah, you know what? Is Fuck going you, on Clay. my tombstone. <laughs> Shut your fucking trap, Clay. Clay. Shut your goddamn trap. You got your 15 minutes on investigation discovery. And at this point, who hasn't? So, <laughs> so take several seats. They'll air anybody. Am I They'll right? They'll fucking air it all. So he's still Mention alive. He's on death row. Correct. In Florida. Fuck this dude. So, yeah. Well, yep. And never give anybody a ride toilet. home that you meet at a dive bar or never any, meet a man. anywhere. Never meet no. a man. Anyway, that's my case. Well, well done. <laughs> we both went Doozy. down a dark path. Yeah, cannibal run, babes. I brought I brought the light the light this you time. Did. You did. You really did. No yeah. new fears for Amanda from me. Only no. from Kenyon. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to us, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.